Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your Cubs caroling is behind us and Cubsmas is ahead of us home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and the lockout at Bleed Cubby Blue. Andy is off today, but I am thrilled to be joined by our, you know, Danny, I think you're just like our one of our like semi-permanent co-hosts now, like hanging out here, uh, a friend of the show, Danny Rocket. May, on NPR, they would call me a contributor. A contributor? Well, I, yeah, I think yeah. we can call you a <laughs> cup of cubby blue contributor for sure. But yeah, I, I imagine we'll be hearing more from Danny uh, this off season and into next season, which I'm excited about. I, I love talking about the Cubs, and I love talking about the Cubs with you. So I'll I'll stick around as long as uh, you'll have me around, and as long as I can do it. One hundred percent sounds awesome. Um, and I know Andy loves talking to Danny about the Cubs too. When the three of us get together, it's a real party. So that's going to happen sometime in the next year, and y'all will not want to miss it. Uh, Danny, before we get to the very, very light um, lockout MLB type of news, tell me how Cubs caroling went. It's like my favorite day of the year, and I was sad to miss it this year. Well, it it was great. We had a good time. A lot of people showed up. I I was wearing um. Uh, blinking Christmas lights around my neck uh, that were given to me by, by Bernie who showed up with a bunch of uh, presents for us to festive out the occasion. Uh, I think the highlight of the moment is when we went to the Chris Kindle market and they kind of right in front of the tree there it was a very picturesque moment. And there's like these little stairs and there are about 20 of us. And so we all went up on the stairs and uh, we looked like a real choir. I swear to God, people must have thought that the Cubs hired us to be there. They did not, especially if they heard some of the subject matter that we were singing. But uh, we had the everybody had their phones out. They're taking pictures of us. We're going nuts. And then we got out of there after doing a few numbers. We actually get, went on to a trolley and sang as well. And that was fun to uh, th- those people were a little uh, through with their night. You could tell in that trolley. I think they were at T box earlier. The, they looked like the walking wounded, but uh, we had a great time. Ended up at East Day Lounge, partied the night away, and uh, I can't wait for next year because uh, it is. It, you're right. It is a really fun event, and it's just singing and Cubs and friends and drinking, and it's got everything. It's got everything you want. It does have everything you want. I love the idea that people thought that the Cubs would have hired you to be there. Frankly, the Cubs should hire you to be there. The Cubs should be like, hey, Danny, come do some Cubs carols for us at the Chris Kendall Market on these set days. I, If anybody from the Chicago Cubs is listening to this podcast, which let's be honest, they probably stopped listening a long time ago, long about like the 15th time I criticized the Ricketts for letting all of my favorite players go, but we, we can go back to that some other time. Uh, I, I think they should hire you. I think it would be great. You know, you could, they, they can take some light ribbing from what was, what's your biggest Ricketts criticism, Carol? Um, well, I can't uh, repeat the title. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we saved that one till the end at Nisei Lounge. I kept it in my back pocket. I'm like handed it out in secret. It wasn't part of the original packet, but it's, uh, you know, it's a have yourself a merry little Christmas, and it's you know, it's something else yourself. Uh, you cheap so and so Tom Ricketts is how right. I'll put that one. I know this is a family show, so so that's probably the one that's the most harshly criticizes uh, that harshly criticizes him. But there's um, uh, it, uh, all I want from Ricketts is some cheaper seats. To all I want for Christmas is uh, my two front teeth. 
I mean, I do want oh, some cheaper I want seats. From Rick. I know. Well, we're going to get them if they don't sign anybody. <laughs> Although at the end of 2021, I feel like the seats were pretty cheap. There were multiple times where you or a friend of the show, Ken Schultz, or some other people who go to games would just call me up and be like, I have a ticket. It is free. It was given to me for free. Just come with me to the baseball I, park. I know. People couldn't sell them. So people were contacting me like, dude, I can't do anything with these. Nobody wants to go. And I'm like, I'll go. <laughs> Sarah, want to go? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and we went. It was great. And we uh, went. Yeah, good stuff. I, I particularly remember the game where we went to see the Brewers play. And I think all of us were cheering for Corbin Burns to strike out more of these anonymous players that the Cubs had on their roster. Because he was at like 15 through like six innings or something. And we all wanted to see history. But yeah, then- let's see history. Might as well. Craig Council pulled Corbin Burns because they were in, you know, they were in contention, didn't want to blow out one of their starting pitchers, which I guess is cool, but I would have rather seen history. Yeah. History will never be made again because of uh, pitch counts. Well, you know, let's talk about history being made a little bit. One of the items we have to talk about here is from a piece in The Athletic. Um, The big news in baseball right now, which has no news because there is a lockout going on. And as far as I can tell, the players and owners are just not talking at all. We'll talk a little bit about this when we get to the lockout in the second half of the show. But the the news that I found as I was kind of looking around for what we were going to talk about today included an analysis of the Hall of Fame ballot, where it is Sammy Sosa's final year on the Hall of Fame ballot. And, let, and let's be really clear. Um, so Ken Rosenthal wrote this piece over at The Athletic. He says that you know, Sammy's in his 10th year. He's definitely probably most likely going to fall off without getting into the Hall of Fame. He's never topped 17% of the vote. You need 75% to get in. But the comparison that he has is David Ortiz, who looks like he will get in, maybe not this year, but eventually. And he has a real interesting piece writing up uh, Ortiz and Sosa and how similar they are, despite the fact that their legacies wound up being very different, right? Like, Sosa gets affiliated with the cork bat incident. He gets affiliated with steroids. He gets affiliated with not answering questions um, in front of Congress because of a language barrier. Whereas Ortiz is big poppy. And despite the fact that he was on the list of players on that leaked uh, test list that everybody knows is not 100% accurate, and he never tested positive on a real test like some other players did. Do you really think there's that big of a difference between Ortiz and Sosa? It seems odd that one of them is going to get in within their first five years on the ballot and the other one is just going to fall off and we'll never hear from them again. Well, I'll tell you a thing that's different about Sosa and Ortiz is about, well, 50 home runs. Sosa hit 50 more homers than Ortiz. I mean, in, in they were both impactful players, uh, but, you know, 609 home runs Sammy Sosa hit. Uh, Sosa hit. You know, you got home run champions and Barry Bonds that aren't in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's it's same thing. But doesn't it look like he might get in now? But I think Bonds is, you know, it's real close. Um, The if you follow Hall of Fame stuff, you're probably following at not Mr. Tibbs, uh, who Ryan Thibodeau, who does all of the tracking to make sure that you can see the ballots as they come in that are public. That is not all of the ballots. A lot of the ballots are not public, but those, those writers who choose to make their ballots public are tracked there. And it does look like bonds is inching closer. It sort of looks like, yeah, Clemens and Schilling are are still on the outside looking in. Then if you're going to do those guys, you got to do Sammy. Like, you know what? If one of them gets in, they all get in. Either we're doing the steroid thing or we're not doing the steroid thing. And in that era, 
you know, it was the what mid nineties, probably. I mean, look, look before then you've got, even before then you've got like the Pittsburgh pirates doing lines of cocaine in the dugout. You know what I mean? The performance enhancing drugs took many different forms over the course of the greenies, the famous greenies that they would take, you know, the, when you look at that era, all the guys are doing it. Ephedrine. That one guy died from ephedrine, taking the truck stop pills. Like, the, and that was legal, you know. And then they're like, "Oh, no more ephedrine." So they chase this stuff around. And uh, ne- next time they're gonna outlaw coffee. Man, there's problems with the uh, Ritalin. You know, some guys they get the the prescription because they got hyperactivity disorder, so they get the Ritalin. So they and then oh, well, you took illegal Ritalin. I mean, they're always chasing this drug stuff around. So if you're gonna draw the line somewhere, and you're not gonna draw it on steroids, and you're gonna let somebody like Barry Bonds in, you're gonna let somebody like Roger Clemens in, you've got to let in David Ortiz, Sammy Sosa. I mean, and as I said, uh, Sammy. I mean, he obviously did steroids. I mean, you look at his rookie oh, yeah. card. And then 100%. You look at him. Nobody yeah, on the show is, is contesting the fact that Sammy Sosa was juicing and, you know, like, we're, we're not here to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, not here Andy, to, like, Andy, he definitely cheated. <laughs> yeah. And he had bad taste in music and, like, all sorts of things that happened with Sammy Sosa. The pr- thing about David Ortiz, people like him. They don't like Sammy Sosa. And that's it. And it's always been a popularity contest for some reason. And it's the writers are voting, not the players until much later when you got the veterans committees and things like that. By that time, the guy's dead like Buck O'Neill. And you, so they just screw this up over and over and over again. I just, you know, I don't know what to, to say. Sammy should be in if, if the other guys are doing it. I agree with you. And actually you hit on something that I think is critical here. And I, and I want to, I want to pull it out. You know, you said that people like David Ortiz and they just don't like Sammy. And I, I think some of that is actually the way the team has dealt with these players, right? Like David Ortiz has always been a hero in Boston. He is celebrated by Boston. He is the guy who came out after the 2013 marathon bombing, bombing. This is our bleeping city. Like it, it is a moment that as a person who lived in Boston at that time, as a person who runs, who like it just my whole heart. It's my favorite David Ortiz moment. And I was there that year in the playoffs when he hit a grand slam in the second game of the ALCS that sent Tory Hunter over the wall to start the Red Sox comeback. Like that is my second favorite David Ortiz moment because the moment with him on the field, just Boston strong was so great. But Sammy has really been written out of Cubs history by first the Tribune company and now the Ricketts in a way that is is pretty shameful when you look at some of these numbers. In 1998, Sammy Sosa was the MVP. He had like six or five all-star campaigns back to back. He was on the MVP ballot. Um, God, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, not nine consecutive seasons during the from 1995 until about 2003, 2004. And and let's just talk about some of these home run totals for a second. Because, look, I get it. He was juicing. Like, we all know. Whatever. Nobody in baseball history put up back-to-back campaigns, back-to-back-to-back-to-back campaigns like this. Not Bonds. Not McGuire. It's Sosa or Buss. He's got, he's got 66, then 63, then 50, then 64, then 49, then 40. I mean, the man was hitting more than 60 home runs in back-to-back seasons. Like, this is not... If you, I can't even yeah. express to you how fun it was to watch in the 1998-99 seasons when Sammy hit over 120 home runs in two seasons. Well, and how much how much money did Sammy Sosa make all those people that are now mad at him? 
you know, like how much money did he make the owners? How much money did he make those teams? How much, how much beer did Sammy Sosa sell in those stands? A lot. And now they want to turn around and cry about it. No, 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 no. Not just beer and money for the Cubs owners. The home run race, in my humble opinion, saved the sport of baseball. It was the home run race and Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman competitions that or Ironman chasing down the Ironman record. Those were the two things that brought people back to watch this sport after the strike in 1994 and 95. The, the viewing numbers were down. The attendance numbers were down. Tons of baseball people said they were never watching the sport again after the player strike. And they all put that aside to watch Cal Ripken chase down Lou Gehrig's record and then to watch Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa hit home runs in the NL Central in that 1998 season. By the way, I'm still salty that the ESPN documentary was so Cardinal-centric and bad. I need a Sammy Sosa 30-30 like stat. I think that Sammy Sosa has always been the undercard in this story. And frankly, he's the reason it was fun. Mark McGuire looked like he was being tortured every time he hit a home run until Sammy got involved and started chasing him down. McGuire, I mean... (laughs) And also that it was Cubs and Cardinals too. And that made us, you know, it, the, the, for it to be those two players in this like storied rivalry, it just made it more fun. Um, yes. Yeah, why people tune back in. I, the narrative I read, a, a, I was reading the wiki about the 1994 player strike. And um, it, you know, it was pretty interesting. It's like fans really were against both sides back then. And um so I, I feel like there was a, a lot of disinterest in baseball. Like people really did just tune out. The World Series got canceled. All this, people were just disgusted, and uh, you know, it, and it's and people did tune out. And like you said, the ratings were down and everything. So I mean, you just can't have it both ways. That's my opinion. It's just like be consistent. You can't have Clemens get in and not Sosa. You can't, uh, and and you can't also be like, oh, these guys saved baseball, and then and they have like the probably a lot of items from those guys uh, in the hall of fame. Yeah. I mean like famous baseballs and things, you know, their pictures are in there. They're just not enshrined personally. Um, You know, McGuire's another one that should probably be in, but the Cardinals, they invited him back. You know what I mean? He's now works for the Cardinals. Like Sosa never got his due. I think that's a big thing. They just don't like him. And I don't know if anybody uh, follows me on Twitter, but I did tweet out uh, the other day on Friday night, Sammy Sosa called into the party I was at. So I'm at club 400 at the Patrick wisdom event. And um, uh, they give uh, our good friend Crawley a, uh, a a, uh, Miguel Montero Jersey. Uh, oh, well the, deserved uh, ring yeah ceremony so he was the one that gave the ring to miguel martero and every and the game used jersey from miguel montero from that game um it what became available and a friend of ours got it but anyway they paid a lot of money and got crawley a jersey um but during crawley's acceptance speech sammy sosa's uh, hitting coach, basically guy. No, he's like Mr. Coach from all the Dominican players from that era. He's at the party. He comes running up with his cell phone. He's like, Hey, I've got a uh, phone call for you. So he comes in and, uh, and it, it's Sammy Sosa on the phone. So Stuart puts the microphone up and, uh, to the receiver. And we hear there's Sammy Sosa this just Friday, Friday night. That's amazing. So I, and oh, everybody was shocked. I mean, the, there were there were audible gasps in the room. <gasps> He's back. It's really him because you can tell it's an unmistakable voice. 
Oh yeah. So yeah, unmistakable. So he uh he he goes on to say it was like a lot of hyperbole of like Chicago's my city and I'm not gonna do a bad Sammy Sosa accent. I'm just not I appreciate do it. that. Thank but, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're welcome. So uh but uh no, it it was obviously Chicago's my city, I wanna come home. I, and here's the coup. The coup that's going on is Club 400 out in Lake in the Hills is going to bring back Sammy Sosa before the Cubs are. Bring and me. I want to be there when fans, Sammy's back. <laughs> oh, everybody. No, he's going to have to rent his neighbor's houses just to do this because there's going to be. Stuart, if be... you listen to the show, I need to be there. Like, you cannot bring Sammy back without me there. <laughs> Stuart, yeah. I'm begging you. Uh, it's going to be a who's who of who's that at the Sammy event. But um, yeah, Sammy's on the phone. He's coming back. Regardless, it just the Cubs should do something because we're because we're going to do it. I mean, it was it. it was pathetic that he wasn't part of the 2016 celebration. You know, they brought back everybody. Right. Like and I love the stories Dawson's told about coming back and like getting on a plane while the while the while the Cleveland team is like rallying and he's like, oh, no, I'm I'm going to I've already got my ticket and all this stuff. Like, I think all that's great. Sammy Sosa should have been part of all of that. 23 is as important to Cubs history and what we all saw it growing up as any number in baseball. And, and it's it's pathetic to pretend that it's not. It's it's pathetic that the ownership tries to ignore one of the, the player who kept their franchise going when it needed it most. And I just think that it's well past time. If you have not read, there's a great piece in The Athletic from a few years ago uh, where Sammy granted an exclusive interview to Mark Carrig. And you should absolutely go back and check that out. He talks about wanting to come back to Chicago. You know, Carrig is a great writer. He asks him a bunch of tough questions and it's it's worth checking out in its entirety. But the thing that killed me about this Rosenthal piece, because he says, you know, why did I vote for David Ortiz except for Sosa? And he says it flat out. My rationale for excluding Sosa one last time is strategic. I don't see him getting enough votes in his final year to even approach 75%. So I prefer my votes go to candidates who stand more of a chance. I could substitute Sosa for, say, Helton, who has six years of eligibility remaining, the most of any of the other players I selected. But at this point, such a maneuver would amount to a hollow gesture. Too little, too late. That is just, I mean, honestly, that's it. Like, we just all have to wait for the players to recognize this man now because the writers had no courage. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, and... You know, the other thing about it is I know I, I have to acknowledge that a lot of people probably listening to this right now, we're in agreement on this that, you know, Sammy should be given his due. Um, but a lot of people are listening to this saying, never. He cheated. He's a cheater. He, you know, none of those guys should be in. And I and I think that uh, what's weird now is that the, the, the writers are picking and choosing, like, between these guys. And I'm like... You know, it's just, and it shouldn't be the writers. Like, I've always wondered, like, why do the writers, like, oh, I went to college and journal, journalism school, and then I got a job at the paper that I kept for 30 years. You know, that is an old way of thinking. When you you work for a blog, I mean, some of the best writers out there will never get there, too. You know right. what I mean? Like, people that write about baseball every single day that you and I both know, you know, you and you're one of them. Oh, thanks, We're not but 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 you don't do game recaps or stuff like that. But if you did, you could if you wanted to. Then why shouldn't you be the one? You're watching it just like everybody else. There's nothing special about half these guys except for they got a good job doing it. You know what I mean? So I don't understand why they get to pick who's in the freaking Hall of Fame when it's the players that know. The players know who was hard to face. The players know that Sammy Sosa was impossible to get out. You know, 
and as Mark McGuire was impossible to get out. It was impossible to hit against Roger Clemens. The players know that stuff. And they're like, yeah, even if the guy wasn't juicing, I wouldn't have been able to do it. They're just coming back from injuries and well, also growing their muscles real big. <laughs> you know I mean? They look ridiculous, but you know, I don't know. Maybe we're beating a dead horse here, but I do want to acknowledge the people that uh, are against it and to say um, that I understand the fact that he is a cheater, but yeah. so are a lot of people. There are lots of cheaters in the Hall of Fame. And honestly, the second mm-hmm. that Bonds goes in, I think that that's the I mean, that's the you have to start looking at some of these other guys a little differently. I'm. It is interesting that Rosenthal did not vote for Alex Rodriguez. He says that the difference is that Rodriguez had multiple failed tests during the testing regime. Uh, but Sammy didn't. Neither did David Ortiz. Neither, you know, a lot of these guys were before the testing regime. And and the idea that the, some some people just have to wear, I'll call it a scarlet S because it's obviously not a scarlet A like in the old Nathaniel Hawthorne book. But the the scarlet steroids uh, letter just seems it seems absurd. And I think that you know if you, the morals clause for the Hall of Fame is something I believe in, and I think it should be applied to bad individuals. I think that it's perfectly reasonable to take, say, Omar Vizquel off your ballot because he's been credibly accused of domestic violence and the and MLB has basically removed him from any position dealing with um, official MLB business because of it, right? Like, I think that's a that's a person that you can take off your ballot and say, yes, he did a bad thing. He's been removed from the game of baseball by the commissioner's office. And we're not going to vote for him for the Hall of Fame, even though he was a defensive wizard. But for the people who are not removed from the hall for for character reasons, for moral reasons, I just I don't know. There's always there's been greenies in the past. Like you said, there's been a Fedrin, There's been steroids. There will be somebody's going to find some magic sticky tack, something or other that they can put on the ball again. And Ty Cobb shot a guy. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's like, you know, Cap Anson is the reason that the, the leagues weren't integrated. You know, uh, you know, that they kicked black people out of the of the major leagues, Correct. you know, and made them have their only, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of seedy, rotten people that have played the game of baseball that were very good at it. <laughs> and and some of them cheated, you know, and then you got poor saps like Shoeless Joe, who just like couldn't even read like the charges against him and like just kicked out of baseball for life and dies yeah. like ends up being in a stupid Kevin Costner movie. He had a great World Series. Go back and look at Shoeless Joe Sats from the Black Sox series. He had an awesome World Series. Yeah. He just happened they, to also get finally make some money. In fact, speaking of, we've got a lot to talk about place. with the owners and the players and money on the flip side. We also have some Carlos rumors, the Carlos Rodon and Carlos Correa yeah, to the Cubs transition. rumors. And we need to talk about those. Uh, but we also need to take a quick break for our sponsors first. So catch us on the flip side. All right, let's start with these Carlos rumors because they're more fun than talking about the lockout. And then we'll do a little bit of a deep dive on what some of the differences on these free agency and arbitration rules are between the players and the owners. But first, you know, I love it when I wake up in the morning and the athletic tells me that the Cubs are looking seriously at Carlos Rodon and Carlos Correa. Those are two great potential pickups for the Cubs. I think the Correa rumors have some more legs than the Rodon ones do, but I'd be happy with either. Danny, we've spent some time on Correa here in the past. We've not talked about Rodon yet. What do you think about these two? uh, A tale of two Carloses, as it were. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want both of them on your team? You know, I mean, the, the, the season, the surprise season that Rodon had last year for the White Sox, um, is going to 
Well, he's going to try to get paid now off of that one season because the concern about him, everybody knows it's the injuries that, you know, he can toss it up there real fast, you know, strike a lot of people out, get a lot of outs, win a lot of games, but can he stay healthy enough to do it at a consistent basis? Um, you know, that's the, the knock on him. And also like, what is he really looking for money-wise? Like, you don't want to tie your hand. You know, it's it's terrible when you spend – they're like, well, we signed him, and then he got hurt, and, you know, now we can't spend any money because, you know, that'll be the excuse because we're paying him all this money. So, you know, you just – you don't want that to be that, – that's my concern. But I, what I if he does what he did, did last year for the White Sox, for the Cubs, next year, and it was not for too long, if they can get a similar contract, uh, you know, to uh, what they did for Stroh, you know, where it's, it's, you know, where it doesn't kind of like lock you into something for a long time. I'd rather have Stroh for a long time, to be honest, than Rodon. Um, but, but great. Um, obviously Correa, I don't, I don't really care what they have to do to get him. Like they should just get him. Like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care the years. Um, he's young. He He's very athletic. Even if he does get injured at some point, he'll be back. You know, I mean, this guy, he, he's going to, he's going to be good for a very long time. Um, and, yeah, they should do it. They should do it because look at next year's class. You don't have a shortstop on this team. You need a shortstop. You're crossing a lot of boxes here. You know, you need a good defensive shortstop. You need a good hitting shortstop. You get both of that in Correa. You have money to spend. Spend it. So, then spend it on a guy like Correa. If you're not going to go get Javi Baez, and, like, I don't really care about Trevor Story. That might thread some needles and stuff. But, like, I don't know. They have all these kids and who are – 14 years old in the minor leagues. I'm a hyperbole. I know they're like 19, but that's still very young. But they can't not drink. The point is they can't come Cubs caroling and drink with us because yeah. they are so young. They couldn't have a beer at Nisei if they were here. Then who knows what these, you know, they just released the prospect list and, and you know, you see there's like half of them are shortstops. It's like, great. But who knows? They all say a next to them or rookie ball or, you know, so we don't know any of these guys going to be yet. But uh, so you got to go do something now. But, you know, fine. So let's say you do have a bunch of hot shots in the minor leagues. Well, now you got trade chips. Now you got prospects that you can turn into something better, like pitching or closer, other things you need. So uh, just get Correa. Get both Carlos's, but don't get Carlos Rodon on a long, uh, you know, I, I hope they don't. I don't I hope they don't throw a whole lot of money at him. Yeah, let's start with Correa for a second. I, I love the idea of Correa for a long-term signing. I, I have I think he's going to be good for at least seven or eight years of a 10-year deal if you have to go 10 years. And I think that he has the flexibility that he can move, for, move off shortstop at some point. Like the problem with shortstops is sometime long about their like 31, 32, 33-year-old season, they lose some of their range. They lose some of that ability to like make that, make some of those plays that make us ooh and ah a little bit. But the Cubs have a ton, as you mentioned, a ton of talent in the 19, 20, 21 year old range in the minor leagues at shortstop right now. And so it's pretty easy to envision a world where you sign Correa to a big term deal. He isn't a shortstop when he's 32, but Ed Howard is your shortstop when he's 32 and Correa shifts over to third base or something or shifts over to second. And he's like the best second baseman who can also hit on your team. You know, the other thing that I hear a lot from people when I start talking about Correa is, oh my God, he's an Astro, he cheated. How dare you have a cheater on your team? And I'm, I'm just going to go back to a couple of things that we were just talking about. One, in baseball, I think that everybody is always looking 
for the farthest line they can possibly get away with. So I tend to look at the Astros and Red Sox cheating scandals as there were teams stealing signs. These two teams just happened to go a little bit too far along that trajectory. And so things got reined back in. I think it's kind of the same thing with sticky tack stuff, right? Like players were doing it. So they kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. And it turns out spider tack is the limit of what the league was willing to put up with in terms of that that particular brand of cheating. And so then it got reined back in. This is true in the history of baseball. This is true way back into the 1800s. People would push the line as far as they could to like make their roster moves or changes or whatever. You know, you talk about, have you ever watched Ken Burns' baseball where they talk about how the fans used to be on the field and they would raise this like white line (laughs) that they were holding, whether depending on whether or not they wanted the team to have a home run or not. So the fans were literally like creating home runs for their guys and not having them for the other guys because they would move in and out depending on who was at the plate. The history of baseball is littered (laughs) with people pushing the limits on rules. Correa, by all accounts, as far as I can tell, works hard is a tremendous hitter, is a fierce competitor, and the Cubs need somebody who is like a glue guy who can hold this next generation of young players together and create a culture here. And I, you know what? I'm totally fine if that person is a is a 10-year deal for Carlos Correa. I'd be cool with it. Yeah, and his middle name is Javier, so we can just kind of get used to that. We can still call him Javi if we Javi want. Too. Javi too. <laughs> Javi too. Javi too, electric boogaloo. I mean, you know... <laughs> This guy, I mean, he's got a 127 career OPS plus, uh, 837 OPS. You know, it, his biggest year was last year for home runs, 26 home runs. I mean, come on, just get him. He's going to be great. <laughs> he's, now, he's, he's literally only 27 years old. It will be great for at least, I, I, what did you say? You said five years? I said he's going to be say- good at shortstop for probably four to five years, but you can move him after that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm all for this. We get all the Carlos as we can. That's what I'm saying. Now, as far as Rodon goes, I mean, I'm looking at his uh, baseball reference page right now. And I think that you might be onto something with a short term big AAV deal where he gets to reestablish himself a little bit, because the problem for Rodon is really the number of innings he's thrown in the last few years. They just haven't been there. I mean, he, he threw 165 innings in 2016 69 innings in 2017 because of an injury, 120 innings the year after that as he was coming back from an injury. Then he's got 34 and two-thirds innings. That's not great. The pandemic-shortened season is seven and two-thirds innings. That's pretty yikes. Uh, 2021, he finally gets back up to 132 and two-thirds innings. But I don't think you can parlay that one year of over 100 innings in the last three to a multiple year deal. So if the Cubs can sign him to something along the lines of the Stroman deal, or maybe even a little bit less, but then put some escalators in there, right? Like you hit 150 innings, we give you 2 million more dollars or whatever, however that works. Like, I think that would be the way that you go to get Carlos Rodon. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think you can rely on him. I just, you know, it's just, it's tough to imagine that anything's going to change as you get older, that you're physically going to get better, you know, I mean, physically better. I don't I mean, know. He's only he's 28. Hit... He'll be 29 next season. That's not, I mean, I, I can see and... him having two or three years seasons in him where, and maybe you catch him. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the short term about it is is what I like. I mean, the thing is the fast, the fact that he throws so fast from the left side is just 
amazing. He had a great year last year. I'm just, I just don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I have some trepidation. His no hitter like- was one of the prettiest no hitters of last year. I mean, I spent a lot of time on no hitters last year. I wrote a piece about it for fan graphs. That was pretty fun. A couple pieces actually, because I covered the Cubs no hitter too. Um, But the, Rodon's no hitter was one of the prettiest, right? Like if the Cubs had one of the ugliest no hitters of 2021 with that whole like Zach Davies walked a bunch of guys and the bullpen came in and closed it out. Rodon's was almost a perfect game. (laughs) Like it was a beautifully pitched game. It was one of those like, oh my, and, and I think he almost did it again, right? Like later in the season, like he was just, he had an exceptional age 28 season. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He really did. I mean, (sighs) Three years you give him, fine. High Two with AAV. an option? Give him an option? Let sure. him opt out if he wants sure. to? I, but, you know, it, the word on the street is the guy wants the years. You know, he wants to get that guaranteed contract, baby. You know? I don't think anybody's going to give him that. I mean, you know, it depends if, if teams are going for it. It depends. <laughs> like, half the, half the league's tanking. So, you know, why not uh, just, uh, you know – the Cubs have money to spend, so it d- wouldn't bother me. I mean, I remember the heady days when back when we'd say things when they'd get, oh, the guy's only $5 million. just get him. And so they would. So they would just get all these guys, pay him a lot of money, riding high, $207 million contract and a $207 million payroll. And the the uh, big stars like Chris Bryant and stuff, they were still in arbitration. They weren't even making money. So they were just spending money hand over fist to fill any – plug any hole that the team had i would like to get back to that you know <laughs> yeah that would be cool you know oh we oh we want all your free agents remember like every year we got we got a great christmas present you know you darvish you know we got well that was later in the in the offseason but every year we got we got what, what we wanted they had their target and they got it well that hasn't been uh, happening for a few years now but i want it back yeah Um, well, all of this can't, none of this can happen until there's an agreement, uh, for MLB on a new CBA. And, and Mm. we've been covering bits and pieces of the CBA negotiation in the second half of the show, as we've gone on here, uh, today, we're going to talk, take a closer look at arbitration and free agency rules. And we're going to continue to do this. I mean, the whole lockout situation is huge. The number of things that are being negotiated in the CBA are legion, And I think it's better for us to devote um, 20 or 30 minutes to a couple of them each week rather than try to hash it all out in one. So hopefully that's useful to the people listening along with us. But so today is arbitration and free agency day. And I just want to start with a stat that like caught my eye as I or I should say caught my ear because I was listening to it on a podcast earlier this week. So I'm, I'm walking around my parents' neighborhood listening to Rates and Barrels, which is a great podcast with Derek Van Riper. And Eno Saris from The Athletic, if, if you don't listen to it. And they're talking about the uh, the way players get, like the number of players who make the minimum, the number of players who make it to third year arbitration, the number of players who actually hit free agency, all of that. And over the course of the last two collective bargaining agreements, apparently something like 50 to 60% of the league makes the league minimum. The number of players who are making the Minimum salary, like they've not hit arbitration yet, they've not had any raise whatsoever, even a little bit at all, is more than half of the league. I think the number Eno threw out was 56%, but don't quote me on that. If it's 57 or something, I am definitely, I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Danny, that is incredible to me that more than half of the league makes like the 575, 576,000 or some permutation thereof, like they're getting a per diem and going back and forth to the minors. 
more than half of the league makes the minimum or less. That has got to go up, right? Like they they have to raise the floor on minimum the minimum salary from what it is right now. Yeah, because I mean, what happened was is the owners found out about war wins above replacement, and if they can find somebody, you know, in the international draft and pay them nothing, um, even developing them off site in their uh, you know, Dominican camp from age 16 or something like that. That's going to be a more economical way to get overall wins on your team, you know, and you'll find some diamonds in a rough and find some amazing hall of fame players that way too. But mostly when they figure like, why would I pay $10 million for one or two wins when I can uh, have a replacement level player in and out of the minor leagues with their options, paying them as little as I possibly can to get similar production, especially on a team that's not even trying to win, which you've got a lot of people just taking for lot for the lottery tickets at the draft for which I don't even understand. But uh, you know, it's that's the, that's the problem of the economics of the situation. The fact that I mean, I did not know that that it's half the players more than but it doesn't surprise me more than half the it doesn't surprise me because they're trying to make as much money as they can. Well, and the number of players that actually make it to that third year of arbitration and then hit free agency is also shockingly low. I think it was less than 10% of players like actually get to the point where they hit, you know, they stay in the major leagues for their their full 7 years and then they hit the market and then they get paid. And so you're look what what this um the way Edo put this on the podcast, I want to give credit where it's due cuz this is not my idea, but I think it's quite brilliant and I and I want to talk about it a little bit is that means that if you're the players, you really should should focus your negotiations on the things that help the most of you, right? Because the Wilson Contreras's are fine. Wilson Contreras is a third-year ARB player. He's going to get paid some money this year. It's less than what he should make. But next year, whether it's with the Cubs or with somebody else, he is going to get a multiple-year deal where he makes, you know, 17 to $20 million per year for five years being a catcher for somebody. I hope it's the Cubs. He's my favorite player. I would like, I think that would be a great move for the Cubs, but if they decide to go a different direction, then he's going to catch on somewhere else. It's not like Wilson Contreras isn't going to have a job, but 6% of the league is Wilson Contreras, right? Yeah. 56% of the league is Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel. And Patrick Wisdom is a rookie who is 30 years old. And is never going to hit ARP three because nobody is going to be paying him to play when he's 34, 35, 36 in his decline, right? Like he is just going to make a minimum, bare minimum salary and ride that out as long as he can. And then he's not going to be in the league anymore at some point in time. And so I think that the place that people need to focus this, like we tend to think of players in terms of the players we know. And that means we think of the richest players because we think of the players like, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer is great. Max Scherzer has had multiple free agent deals and he's made hundreds of millions of dollars and he's got the highest contract for a pitcher in the history of the game or Mike Trout. Mike Trout is fine, right? Like he's making hundreds of millions of dollars. He likes the weather and hunting or whatever, and he's fine. The players that need this deal, the way that the MLBPA should focus their energy is on those players who are never going to hit arbitration, who should make, I don't know, why can't they double the minimum salary? Why can't these players make a guaranteed million? It seems like there's enough money to do that. I, I see no reason why that couldn't happen. And that would be a huge boon for most of the league, in my opinion. Yeah, it absolutely will be a boon for most of the Cubs, I'll tell you that much, if they just got almost doubled their salary. I mean, right now on the team, uh, you have one, two, three, uh, 
eight players, not no nine players that are and like the whole bullpen, right? Like yeah, the, the whole entire bullpen. bullpen I mean, here's here's the only players that are making more than minimum: uh, Marcus Stroman, Jason Hayward, Kyle Hendricks, Wade Miley, Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras, Jan Gomes, David Bodie, and technically Michael Hermosillo. But, but uh, that's only because he's making $25,000 more than minimum. <laughs> so, so everybody else. So that's why I said eight, nine, but because it's, it's eight, it's nine technically, but it's really eight, but. Yeah. They non-tendered Hermosillo. So they, they could give him they, that little yeah, extra bump, actually, right? Cause he might've actually hit arbitration. Like, come on people. This is, this is out of control. And so when you look at a roster like that and you think, wow, all, you know, you got to, is that off the 40 man or off the 25? Man uh, man? Those are active players. 28 players here. Oh no, it's got, it's got to be the 40 man. Cause it's Michael Rucker and your Alfonso Rivas of the world. So that's less than 25% of the roster is actually getting paid. 75% of the Cubs roster is being paid yeah. the minimum. That is bananas, right? Like that is, that is about as, as sweetheart of a deal as you could ask for. If you're the owners. And so when the players come in and their ask is, we want to take away a year of our, we don't want there to be seven years of control. We want there to be five or we want there to be six. And we want the minimum wage to go up. That seems like an eminently reasonable request to me. Right. I mean, so Rosenthal had this piece last week on, I think it came out on December 8th, but he has this proposal for free agency where he says it should be six years of service time with an exception for a player who's 30 that if they have at least five years of service time, they are, they go to free agency uh, and that there could be a system to help um, mid market or low revenue teams keep franchise players. Although I would like to remind everybody that the lowest market team, the Tampa Bay Rays somehow dug deep in their pockets and found $200 million for Wander Franco. So those teams can pay franchise players if they so choose it's it's not like they can't do it they're just choosing not to and frankly if you can't afford to do that you probably shouldn't have a baseball team your your team can move back to Montreal or something um the I think this is an eminently reasonable proposal it is also from everything that I've read so far the thing that the owners are least likely to move on which is so frustrating to me that they are going to get stuck on this thing that is all about fairness. It's all about fairness for the players who need it most. And what can we all just like live in reality and admit that Patrick wisdom should have a chance to make some money as a baseball player and not have to like only like be constantly shipped back and forth from the minors by six different teams during his entire career. And then he's a rookie at age 30. Come on. That's ridiculous. Yeah, rookie who hit 28 home runs, I might add. So it's like, you know, he obviously has some talent. He's up there hitting major league pitching out of the park. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, it should be by your age. That would be the fairest thing. And I, and I agree that it's all to the owners about the service time. So they want the six years. That's what they want to retain. Players want the five years. And, and it, you just say to yourself, well, that's just a year. Well, it's the difference between probably being 30 or 29 and like you know you you say things like oh the wrong side of 30 it's a real thing for those of us over 30 that know about this <laughs> so it's you know particularly I mean, if your job is squatting for like a hundred innings or whatever right like yeah so on. you're beating up your body for six years instead of five on the major league level you're riding the planes you're playing 162 
and it's taking its toll. And as and a lot of guys fall off because of injury and, you know, you know, all, all those stories of the 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 big guy that was going to Corey Patterson of the Corey Patterson's of the world. And, you know, the, the, the Michael Hoff powers that don't make it, you know, that don't end up being something that they thought that you might've thought they would have been a lot of the Cubs first round picks. Where the hell's Albert Almora right now? You know, like, so, you know, they hit these arbitrations, they start to become expensive. And at that point they want to get rid of them because look, they would have paid Kyle Schwarber, maybe $4 million if they, for his uh, performance of hitting 200 the year before. And that's why they want it to be based on war. The the F war, you know, and the, all the problems with that. And then, so that's just like a total, I guess, meritocracy at that point. Something about that, that I kind of enjoy in a way. And I, I know it probably screws the players over. If the, anything the owner is going to say, it's going to be something against the players. They're not going to give on anything, but it's got to be at least by your age. Like at least like Patrick wisdom, you're 30 years old you can elect to be a free agent. You know, maybe there's some kind of deal there. And as far as uh, mid-market teams uh, and small market teams being able to retain their players, you know, I don't even see big market teams doing that. We, all our guys are gone. You know right. what I mean? So right. it's not like, it's not like, oh, big market teams are always doing it. No, they don't. They do the same thing because the guys got too expensive. They don't want expensive. They don't want the long-term contract. They don't want to be saddled with this because the highest person paid person on our team is freaking Jason Hayward. Well, not anymore. It's Strowman. So we at least we could say that. <laughs> um, but Hey, I, I still love Jay Hay. I will always love Jay Hay. He earned every bit of that contract with that speech, whatever speech. he said great. in Cleveland. That was, that was a $200 million speech as far as I'm concerned. Jay Hay forever. I mean, I would say I don't care because it's not my money, but technically it is. And I feel like that is, and it's our, it's all our money. Where do they get this money from that they're splitting up? And I am on the player's side, but where are they getting this money from? You and me. So there is a point in which both sides actually uh, run the risk, if they can't get a deal done, of alienating both the fans and uh, all the fans uh, from both sides of the thing. Because these guys, $565,000. Oh, man, that'd be nice. You know, even at the minimum. And and a lot of people are going to look at it that way. And so they got to be careful here. Because if it becomes down to the, that they can't get it done because of five years versus six years and, you know, arbitration that fans don't even understand, you know, good luck trying to get them back when they figure out something else to do next summer. Yeah, there's got to be a way to explain this to fans and to working people in, in a way that helps them recognize that the game they love is being played by the masses, not by the superstars. And what I mean by that is like the Randy Dobnicks, right? Like the Randy Dobnicks who are out there driving Ubers in the off season so they can make this minor league, major league th- split work while they're going back and forth on the shuttle to the bullpen. Those are the players that are making this stuff work. Like the entire Cubs bullpen, the guys who are like coming in and out, there are no high paid arms out there right now. All the high paid arms were traded, right? Like, you know, those guys are working their butt off. They're trying, they're getting shipped back and forth to Iowa. Every time they go back to Iowa, they make less money. Every time they come to Chicago, they make a little bit more money. I can't even imagine juggling the finances on that. I think that that would be really stressful to be like, well, for part of the year, I'm going to make a ton of money. And for part of the year, I'm going to make absolutely nothing. And maybe it will level out to the point where I actually make enough money to live this year, despite paying taxes all over the place. I mean, I think that we need to do some real analysis about who 
the who the players are that would benefit from this and what it would mean materially for their lives, their ability to train, their ability to be better players and to stick it in the major leagues longer. And frankly, I, I hope that's what they do when when and if the talks start again. Evan Drellick has reporting today that the talks are not going to start again until January. They're just taking the holidays off. So it's like, good job with that lockout to speed up the talks, Manfred, because clearly you're not speeding up absolutely anything. Yeah. No, they're, they're probably circling the wagons and just, well, let's enjoy our Christmas. Meanwhile, a lot of people are wondering about, you know, what their next year is going to look like. Um yeah, I, I'm glad you I'm, you're bringing up a lot of great points, and you know, so I won't be belabor it. But I mean, the the fact is, it in the in the end of it, if you have you need time as a player to train. I mean, you're not technically getting p- p- paid all the hours you're spending in the gym or working on your curveball or something. I, I liken it to being a musician. You know, I might go up there and play a gig, and like, oh, you made a thousand bucks of that gig. And by the way, I don't. Uh, but I'm just going to use a round number, but you know, support oh, you your local a, artists. I have made a thousand, so, but let's just say uh, for, a, but some gigs, same gig pays a thousand next day. I'll pay you 25. And what my point is, is like all that time bleacher bump band is in the rehearsal studio. We're paying 75 bucks a rehearsal. We're paying, we're, we're going in there and we're, and we're riding our, our gear around. We're fixing our gear. We're buying guitar strings. We're, you know, getting new microphones. We're, you know, doing all the things that we have to do to keep the process running and expensive. That's what these baseball players have to do too. I need a new mid. I need a new shoes. I need, you know, they get certain things, but I need new bats. You know, those bats are expensive. You know, I know that, you know, they get some stuff, but they customize it and it's expected. And I'm not actually sure how the finance of that stuff, but they have expenses. It's funny that you bring up the equipment, because one of the things that I remember from spring training is that the MLB players who have that equipment and don't have to worry about those costs anymore will oftentimes bring their older stuff in for the minor league guys who are not even paid for their time in spring training. It's considered an audition or a tryout. So they're just like there giving their labor and their training and all of their time for free on, on the hope that someday they will get paid for it and rummaging through boxes of like old catcher's mitts and old cleats and stuff looking for things in their size so that they don't have to pay uh, full market rates for them. I mean, it's absurd that that's what happens in a professional sports league. Riding, riding their bikes to games because they can afford a rental car because all the fans took them, all the rich fans that are coming to see him play. They took all the rental cars and drove up the price to like $700 a week. You know, they're like, well, I can't, can't afford that. And it, and yeah, so it's like, and it, it seems like a, a team that would like to ex, uh, exploit is probably the right word, but also the wrong word um, it, to exploit that situation and be able to attract the best young talent might consider p- paying their minor leaguers more like when the Toronto Blue Jays came out and said, we're raising we're they doubled the salaries, which means they could have done it all along, you know, even incrementally to a point where they have a living wage. But this benefits the game because now these guys have time to train. Now these guys have time to work on their fastball. Now these guys have time to be in the cage. It can't be a game just played by rich people. You know, because then you're not going to get the best talent, you know, that anybody who can afford to take the time to play it can play it because you're not going to get the best talent that way. So it's just like when you and now we're kind of off track because we're talking about minor leagues, but like, you know, they have the same mentality for the major league guys. I'm going to get as much as I can and pay these guys as little as possible. And it's just like that's capitalism. That's what they all learn in business school. And because the game is run by people like that, now we 
It's it's like the you know it's like when the Vietnam War was what was run by that car guy. <laughs> you know the guy who like dude, I don't know if he was like the CEO of like Chevy or something. I forget what it was. I, 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 I didn't just, know the oh, Vietnam War was run by a car guy, but that I'm gonna have to look this up. That's yeah, pretty cool. It was. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, not cool, totally cool, not cool like a good thing. Cool like a yikes. No wonder that was such a quiet No, he mire. did it so badly. It, yeah, it, yeah. no, it's his, it, it's, what, it's uh, McNamara was the guy's name. And uh, anyway, so, it, but it's like that. It's like you have the wrong kind of minds going for it. And like you're, you're having unintended consequences because of your cheapness. And if, if you end up alienating millions of fans, based on not giving the players five years to at least become a free agent or age an age that they can do it. Even if, if you're someone like Patrick wisdom, well, I mean, you know, that it doesn't, that doesn't seem to be a very smart economical to alienate all your fans. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we are going to end this conversation here. We'll talk more about free agency and arbitration. I am sure as the lockout continues and as negotiations happen in the meantime uh we are going to take next week off for the christmas holiday the uh danny and i are going to spend some time with our loved ones and family and all that jazz but we'll be back the next week looking at um some some flashbacks from the cubs 2021 season and things that we loved or didn't love or want to forget or maybe want to remember um and we will have all of that for you in the meantime danny where can people find you uh while they're looking for some cub stuff over the christmas break well, I'm at Sunranto on Twitter, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. And um, it, you can check out the Sunranto show, which is anywhere you can find a podcast, really. And we go live. Uh, we're going to be going live uh, every Thursday night now at 7 p.m. If you want to come check in and uh, comment and be a part of the show. So you can find me, Sunranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. Find me. Good stuff. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at at BRYZ underscore blue. You can find everything we're talking about here on the podcast and the stuff we're referencing on our Twitter account at cup of cubby blue. And we will be back in a couple of weeks to look back at the Cubs 2021 season and look ahead to hopefully baseball when it comes back in 2022. In the meantime, have a happy holidays and we'll see you soon. Bye. So long. All I want from Ricketts is some cheaper seats. Some cheaper seats, yeah, cheaper seats. Tom Ricketts, you gotta sell me cheaper seats. I want some inexpensive tickets. It seems so long since I could pay just $10 to sit in the bleachers. Now Wrigley, with taxes and fees, never gets any cheaper. All I want from Ricketts is some cheaper seats, some cheaper seats, yeah, cheaper seats. Tom Ricketts, you gotta sell me cheaper seats, miss buying inexpensive tickets. It seems so long since I could pay just $10 to sit in the bleachers. Now Wrigley, with taxes and fees, never gets any cheaper. All I want from Ricketts is some cheaper seats, some cheaper seats, yeah, cheaper seats. Tom Ricketts, you gotta sell me cheaper seats, miss buying inexpensive tickets. I want some inexpensive tickets.